Stacy Gaboni has two words of advice for visitors coming to Venice. Get lost. Not as in go away, but as in forget trying to figure out the map and lose yourself in the hopelessly charming maze that is Venice. And then see what happens. Venezia is a, an island. You're on an island. The worst case scenario is you're going to run into some water. Backtrack. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. A guide from Venice helps us enjoy one of the most romantic cities in Europe, almost like we live there. If you prefer your waterways to come with a more wild and dramatic setting, the fjords of Norway will leave you breathless. After driving over the mountain, you come down to a, a fjord, the Luster Fjord, and you just follow this fjord for several hours. The scenery is amazing. From the splendor of Venice to the quiet majesty of a ferry ride through the fjords of Norway, great adventures are yours in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. A lot of people travel with walls up. Bringing those walls down is what allows you to have those moments where you truly connect with new people and cultures. Rosetta Stone can help take down one of the biggest walls, the language barrier. Rosetta Stone is fun to use, you learn fast, and you can use it on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. For a special discount, go to rosettastone.com slash ricksteves. We've got insider advice for enjoying two of Europe's most amazing places with a waterfront view, coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves. Guides to Norway join us in a bit to help you plan a dream vacation from well-ordered Oslo into the breathtaking mountains and secluded fjords of one of Europe's least crowded countries. It's an entirely different scene in Venice. A tide of tourists wash into St. Mark's Square every morning to admire one of the world's best-preserved cities. But by night... Venice settles into a different mood, where a quiet stroll into its neighborhoods or a moonlit gondola ride whisper that this is, indeed, the Venice you've been dreaming of. Stacy Gavoni left New Jersey for Venice 15 years ago, and she's made it her home ever since. She and her Italian husband operate a restaurant there, and Stacy joins us now to take your calls at 877-333-7425 to help you get to know Venice as an intimate friend. Stacy, Welcome. Buongiorno, Rick. So you're from New Jersey, and you ended up living in Venice, and now you've lived there in your, in your second decade. <laughs> I, I'm in my 15th year this summer, 15th yes. 15th year. How did you manage to become a Venetian? I first went over there as a graduate student with New York University. Mm-hmm. had the grand privilege of studying in Peggy Guggenheim's basement. Wow. I don't think they do that anymore, but it was quite a thing in the day. felt very special going through that private gate under the bacon painting and being under Peggy's bed, you know, to, to do your lectures. Yes, it was quite an experience. And I, I met this man, this, this chef over there. Rather cliche, I guess. There's so many books written about those love stories of the American who heads off to find themselves. I wasn't looking for myself. <laughs> I was looking for my graduate degree in art. <laughs> and <laughs> and I found him. I found him. And we began business together. We began a catering business together, actually. Okay. Yeah. So you brought a little bit of American business acumen, and he had yeah, sort of exactly. the love of Italian cuisine, and, and it worked. Does he have a restaurant to this day? Yes, he does. Over in Canareggio, we have a restaurant. And what's the name? Bentigodi di Chef Domenico. So your husband is Domenico? Domenico is my husband. And the restaurant is Bentigodi. See. Si. What does Bentigodi mean? Uh, dangerously tasty. Is that a literal translation? That, that's a Staceyism. That's a Staceyism. Okay, so that Bentigodi, I would imagine that's some sort of a Venetian dialect. Yes, it is. For something kind of dicey. Mm, quite dicey. <laughs> so, uh, what, what was it again? Dangerously tasty. The Venetians are famous for their debauchery. We, right? It goes all the way back to ca- uh, Casanova, right? Okay. Exactly. It's so nice to have you join us because uh, you have an American sensibility for what Americans need, and you also are a local, married right. to a local who's lived there for a long time. Mm-hmm. But for 15 years, you've taken American guests around Venice. What do you find is the greatest challenge for Americans coming to get to Venice to really experience the city? I find that the the sheer amount of walking that we do shocks most Americans. Mm -hmm. I compare a lot of things to New York City because I spent a lot of time there in my life. So a lot of Americans will come. And you can always jump in a taxi in New York City. It's not that simple in Venice. Public transport is there, but you can't just wave down that water taxi, let's say, if you're getting tired. A lot of Venetians, they just... Get out and walk. We and walk just, everywhere. I, I walk. Yeah, thirty minute walk is nothing. That's that's it's a no big lifestyle. deal. So we we drive for thirty minutes, and that's considered a short drive. Exactly. And you live in a world without cars, so it's a thirty minute walk. A watery world. You see something different, even though this is my fifteenth year living there. 
I can't tell you how often I walk down the street and find something new. You know, Stacy, when you do go to Venice as a tourist, the common uh, tip is look above the crowds and you see mm-hmm. little arrows pointing yes. to the nearest landmark and there's no street names that, that we know. No. So you navigate by landmarks and arrows above everything that point to the landmarks. Mm-hmm. My hunch is those arrows are not always the most direct way, but they're the most convenient way to move the crowds, all the tour groups and so on. What is a little bit of backstory about how you, you might... Look at those arrows, but not let them be the, the gospel truth for you. Mm, They're like yellow or brown signs that head you towards the bridges. So basically, I used to tell my guests, if you pull out your map over coffee in the morning at the house and sort of decide, well, today I'm going to do Dorsodoro, so I'm headed towards the Academia Bridge. Don't waste your time looking at all the names of the streets and the calles and the campos because it's irrelevant to where you're actually trying to go. And most likely your map does not say the same thing as it does on the side of that building over there on the <laughs> left. Right, right. So follow those signs for the academia because you know you're headed towards Dorsodoro and that's the main bridge that crosses the Grand Canal in that okay. sestiere. So that's true, because when I think about it, the science would say Rialto, which See? is another bridge, yeah. and Academia. Academia, or and San so, Marco, or so, Piazzale Roma. So main floating bus stops, exactly. and main squares, big churches, and so on. But my hunch is, when you're going and want to get somewhere in a hurry, you wouldn't follow where those arrows send you all the way, because there are Sometimes back lanes. Sometimes you have to, but I've, I've learned quite a few little back lanes. And the point is... You have to remember, La Serenissima, Venezia, is a, an island. You're on an island. The worst case scenario is you're going to run into some water. Backtrack. Backtrack. Sit or, down, have a coffee. And, you know, a tip I like, Stacy, is every hotel, every restaurant has the challenge of letting people know where they are. Yes, because how, it's not a grid card. plan. So you drop in any place, a bar, a restaurant. They love to give out their business cards. It's wonderful they're, they're advice. Cute little cards. And on the back, invariably, you've got a map with a big old, you are here. Mm-hmm. So then you know where you are, and of course, they're trying to get people there, and conversely, you can get out of there by looking at where are the landmarks that are on that card. Exactly. And this knowing is... which side of the Grand Canal you are living on. Where is your hotel? North, south, which side of the Grand Canal? Now, you've lived there for 15 years, mm-hmm. and I would imagine, especially during the season in the middle of the day, and especially on weekends, it just kind of gets annoying when so many foreigners and groups just inundate your beautiful, fragile, floating wonderland. What is your parallel Venice? Is there a parallel Venice for you? How do you find the village Venice of the 50 or 60 or 70,000 people who actually live there? I think it was about six years. For some reason, life never made me cross San Marco, for example. I just didn't have to cross San Marco for any reason. It's the most beautiful piazza, most likely, in the world, if I may be Italian about it, in the world. And I just had no reason to go there, so I was able to get around to other places. So those back streets, in Castello particularly for me, back behind uh, the arsenal and the gardens, it's another world. It is another world. And it's not like you don't have to drive somewhere, catch a train. It's a 15-minute walk. You just get lost. Get lost. Embrace it. The best two words in Venice Mm -hmm. Get lost. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Stacy Gaboni about Venice. She's lived there for 15 years. She married Chef Domenico, and now together they run a restaurant called Bentigodi. And our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Sherry's calling from Sun City West in Arizona. Sherry, thanks for your call. Thanks. My husband and I were thinking of traveling to Venice, but we watched a lot of films, and it looked like it was decaying, and... People have told us it's dirty, so we were wondering how long we should stay, what would be appropriate. Mm. Decadent decay? You know, Sherry, that's why I go there. It's decaying, and it's not as sterile as, uh, I mean, you can go to uh, Copenhagen, and, and or you can go to Switzerland and find everything just perfectly sterile. But people go to Venice, they fall in love with it. It's something like... It's magic. It's, it's magic. magic. It is just magic. And dirty, dirty means a patina of life. You've got centuries of happiness ground into the walls. True. Uh, I've never, people talk about the smell of Venice. I've never smelled it in 15 years. I think, maybe that's not true, December 1st, 2008, the waters were the highest they've ever been in my time there. And the few days after that, we just we had a long, long cleanup. So yes, but other than that... Were you there on any of these notorious rock concerts that turned the city upside down? Yeah, one. I couldn't even get into my home. Did it leave the city just ransacked? It, 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 it took days for us to catch up on the garbage, let's just say. There's, uh, <laughs> there's famous posters in bars I've seen in Venice of, what was it, a Pink Floyd concert? A Pink Floyd was, it was before my time, but it was major. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Sherry, I would say avoid the city if there's a huge rock concert. <laughs> they probably learned their lesson. That doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't happen too often anymore. But, Sherry, uh, would you venture going to Venice, do you think? 
Oh, I'd I'd love to. And I'm glad you answered about the 2008 because mm. it does clarify. Maybe that's when people went. You know, Sherry, there's I don't even think it was 2008. A lot of people who just don't know what's going on, they say Venice is stinky and Venice is dirty. I have been with people who I walk them through the back lanes and I when I get them onto that St. Mark's Square, they burst into tears. They're so overwhelmed by the beauty. It's amazing. I have had people just fall in love with that city, and I've been taking people there for 30 years. I've never had anybody that gets there and goes, right. oh, this place stinks. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> just don't, don't go there like a dog looking for some no. smell. I mean, have you ever gone fishing? You know, we, we're a tidal city, so if it's really, really low tide in some areas, maybe you would have we, a and, low tide odor, but that's all. I, okay, full, full disclosure, Sherry, there are a lot of rats in Venice, and they're really True. big. They're big, yes. I actually had one come up on my my, um, balcony windows, and I had the cat looking out at the rat. I didn't even realize what was going on. It was a high water. (laughs) Aqua Alta was coming, and this rat somehow made it up to my... Oh, that's it. Does the high water drive the rats out? It drives them up. So So, if there's a high water, the rats, their homes get flooded. Yeah. So here's this little rat making a bed in my my nut tree, and the cat (laughs) is just trying to play with it from the other. It was amazing. So there you go, Sherry. When you do get a high They don't bother us. It's just all the friendly (laughs) Venetian rats are out. Hey, I want to hear from you after your trip to Venice, Sherry, okay? Will do. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye. (laughs) Our email is radio at ricksteves.com, and Gene in Punta Gorda, Florida, emails us. And Gene writes, uh, considering crowds and weather, when's the best time of year to visit Venice? Yeah, what's the deal with that, Stacey? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, nowadays we can't answer questions about weather, can we? The climate seems to be... Pretty unpredictable. Very unpredictable. You can get cold snaps in Venice where it is bitter. Yes. And you can get brutal heat waves in Italy in the summer. We have high humidity nearly Mm year-round. We are below sea level. Keep those things in mind. I don't know when to tell you the best time to come is because it depends on your interest level. If you're planning on going to all the museums, that kind of holiday, then you might want to come in the dead of winter when no one is there. You'll have no lines. You have the entire Palazzo Ducale to yourself. That's I've been a there thrill. many times in the dead of winter. I in love fact, that. I can remember wearing my, almost like wearing my ski clothes. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going to the top of the Campanile, the bell tower on San Marco Square, and it was so crisp. The air was so clean. I could look out and see the the Alps. I could Mm -hmm. see the snow-capped Alps from It's gorgeous. My favorite walk, personally, from my house to the other side of town, let's say from Canareggio near the train station, is to cut down that Fondamenta Nuova there and see just a little treat Mm. every time. Turn the Mm. corner and wow, it's just, where did those mountains come from? So it's hot and crowded in the summer. Absolutely. And there is air conditioning. I think any hotel these days Almost everybody has air conditioning nowadays. They've realized that's... And the museums are air conditioned. The churches are not, but they're built in these wonderful, big, shady, stony environments. Yeah, the churches are always a pleasant place to sneak in and take a rest, too. If you really are there in the dead of summer and you're roasting hot, take a moment to reflect upon some of that artwork in situ. Oh, in situ. Mm. What does in situ mean? It means the painting was designed for that location, and that's where it lives. So instead of seeing it on the white wall in a museum, you see it where it was meant to be. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying art in situ, Mm. and nowhere in Europe do you see art in situ as brilliantly. It's true. Okay, there's a handful of places you can... in Rome or something, you see a lot of art in situ. But in Venice, you can see art in situ, and you see the glory of the Venetian Renaissance. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Stacey Gaboni about Venice. My adopted hometown, La Serenissima. 877-333-7425 for more insider tips for finding the Venice of your dreams. And later in the hour, we get expert advice for touring Norway. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Support for Travel with Rick Steves comes from Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone believes that an adventurous spirit and some basic language skills make all the difference when connecting with someone from another culture. Now available as a smartphone and tablet app. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash ricksteves.
This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're talking about Venice with Stacey Gaboni. And Stacey has been a Venetian now for, I think, going on 15 years because she was one of those tourists that went to Venice, or student that went to student, Venice, student, yeah. and fell in love with the culture in the form of a young man. And 15 years later, they're Honestly, running over Honestly, I fell restaurant. in love with the water first, I have to admit. Is that right? The <laughs> yeah. water first. That, that train ride over the Ponte de Libertad oh. there is just really had a sense of coming home. You know, that's the causeway that connects mm-hmm. Venice with the mainland. Yes. And I think Venice was really a detached island until what the, what the 1800s Absolutely. when they finally built this causeway. It's like a four or six lane highway mm-hmm. and then lots of trains and there's a big train station on the island and a huge car park on the island. Mussolini attached the mainland by the train. Grazie Benito. It's not very often you can say grazie Benito. Transportation, we can say, and almost all over the peninsula there. Thank you to Mussolini for the connecting. I've come across that causeway countless times over the last 30 years, and I just... I'm just like a little kid looking out the window. I got. To, I want. I want there. I want to go there. Look at. There's all the bell towers. Let it's, me go. It's an amazing. Yeah. And I cannot believe some travelers who are coming in for the first time and they're not even looking out the window. Oh, and they've yeah. got their nose in their <laughs> iPad. Please yes. don't be that tourist. I was Please just in Venice with our TV crew. We we're trying to get people romantic on the gondolas, <laughs> and they're yeah, you know, they're paying the big bucks to go on a gondola, and they're looking in their screens. Oh. And they're putting it up on Facebook, or they're or checking their San email. San Valentino dinner, you know, I think I'm going to put up a sign that says no <laughs> cell phones or technology allowed. When you're in Venice, you mentioned at the end of the last segment, La Serenissima. La Serenissima. What, what does that mean? Um, well, the island is a, is a woman. She's been identified in the female form, and... She's a serene island. Serenissima translates fairly straightforward. Serene, and the Isima serenity. is like extra, extra, extra. Isima. In fact, I love the whole Italian culture and the Venetian culture in particular because mm-hmm. a lot of people call it issimo. Issimo, I mean, everything, everything is, is extra. Yeah. Everything's over the top. We have a lot of massimos in, in Venice too in terms of names. You know, the Italians tend to name their children in a regional way and I noticed there's a, a lot of Massimo. <laughs> Massimo. Is that, what does Massimo mean? Just uh, like super great. The, the super great, the maximum. <laughs> maximum as it could be. <laughs> And then when, when people are courting and, and flirting, there's yeah. a lot of this yes. um, over-the-top romantic yeah. time. Carissima. Issima. Mm. Was your Domenico Issimo? No, I, I don't allow him to call me Cara. That's what he can call his, <laughs> his, his, his friends so who that, come in. Let's be straight. <laughs> I'm, I'm beyond from, Cara. I'm from, I'm from New Jersey. I may look like a Venetian now, but I'm, I'm from New Jersey. They, they, okay. often, they often say I'm a little bit hot-headed. Well, like, the, well, like a southern Italian, maybe I'm a, more like a Sicilian woman, which I don't know how because, honest <laughs> to God, I don't have a drop of Italian blood in me. What an amazing <laughs> story you must have had, falling in love with a Venetian and then running a, a southern Italian there. now. Southern Italian. Oh, he's a southern, yes, he, excuse me. He's from Basilicata. Oh, that's oh, down, in the, would, down in the boot. Or the, that or is the, in the, the in tip the, of the toe it's, of the it's boot. It's uh, right on the sole there. Yeah. All right. right in the center. It's beautiful. Our guide to Venice is American-born Stacy Gaboni, who's made Venice her home now for the last 15 years. Share your own travel tales about Venice with us in our online listener forum. It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. I want to just go for a walk, Stacey, with mm-hmm. you, and yes. you've been taking people walking through Venice Absolutely. for years now. And let's start at the city's front door. You're there in front of the Doge's Palace, mm-hmm. and it, to me, you see those two columns, and it sort of takes you back to the, the powerhouse Venice. Absolutely. I mean, we're at the Bacino, where the Le Grand Canal and the Lagoon meet, and then it goes Bacino, out to the Adriatic. That, that must mean basin. The basin, yes. So I, I don't even speak Italian, but you can, once you get, you're faking it, it down pretty well. Bacino, uh, basin, basin. And also think about bacio, il bacio. You know, un bacio is a kiss, and mm-hmm. so it's where the, the Grand Canal and the Lagoon kiss one another oh, in a way, sort of, and head delightful. out to the Adriatic. So, that's how I remember it anyway. This is from where the world came to Venice. There, you've got these two towers. On the top of one is St. Theodore, yes. and the other one is Saint Mark. Yes, and and Saint Theodore is sitting on a, an alligator or a dragon. Kind of a, a dragon, yeah. Yeah, he's so he was that was the patron saint of Venice before until they got he the was bones usurped of Saint Mark. by San Marco. Yeah. I mean, if you're Saint, Mark- you're saint Theodore, you're you're pretty good, but you can't compete with the relics of Saint Mark. He seems to not be as. And Ve- Venice is kind of a massimo town, right? So Absolutely, they wanted massimo we were... relics and the bones of Saint Mark reveals they sent out a crew and they they kidnapped the bones of Saint Mark from I think Egypt. Was it Constantinople or where? I'm not Somewhere really in sure. The, in, in the yeah. Middle East, and they, yeah. and they planted it under. The, the high altar, suddenly St. Theodore and the Dragon are out and St. Mark and the Winged Lion are in and Venice is on the pilgrimage map. So We have lions this, all over the city. When yeah. you see a lion, in fact, Venice's yep. empire spread all the way to the Holy Land and Absolutely. you see lions with wings. That would be, ah, uh, must mm-hmm. have been part of the Venetian mm-hmm. trading empire. But when you stand there in front of the Doge's Palace, underneath the the bell tower, and what did Napoleon call it? The greatest writing? It's the greatest living room or, or, or the, the sort of theatrical state. I think, I think he called it, yeah, the drawing room, I think is what Napoleon said. And then you said. see this amazing church, St. Mark's Basilica. 
Talk about the the importance of Venice, you know, a thousand years ago. What would people think when they came there a thousand years ago? Can you imagine coming in by boat from the east and and the first time coming to the west there and and seeing something as gold and glittery as our San Marco? I I don't know. It still overwhelms me when I go there. It does. It is just absolutely stunning. And from a real politic point of view, you've got, it's almost like they used to to hang scalps on stockades in the Wild West when they had conquered different uh, tribes. Here, they would take the finest art and statues and and so on from different... Look what uh, we have. And they'd just shoehorn it into the wall. So this church is sort of like... It's covered. It's, it's covered everywhere. It's ransacked. Absolutely. That's the architectural style I call Absolutely. it. And, and it just lets you know, wow, this we are on the winning team And let's team not forget here. about those thieves being hung up between those two gorgeous columns. I mean, that was... Oh, that's if, if you true. were, Yeah. So there was... It was La Serenissima, unless you weren't playing by the rules. <laughs> and then it was Le Hellhole. And who knows what the <laughs> rules might have been, because I think that has carried on to contemporary this is, times. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Stacey Gaboni about her adopted hometown of Venice. When you stand on the main square right in mm. front, you see three flagpoles. Mm-hmm. And on the three flagpoles, you've got three flags. And you can catch the officers putting them up in the morning if you're out there early enough, which is a lovely thing to see. I love being on St. Mark's early when people mm-hmm. are going to work, when the tourists aren't there yet, the pigeons are out enjoying no. a nice breakfast. The trash men are out there cleaning oh, up the little things, the and then works. out come the officers, and they put up the flag. And on those three flagpoles, you've got, I believe you've got the European flag, the Italian flag. Absolutely. But you also have the flag La of... Serenissima. Uh, uh, is it the Venice flag? It's or the, the flag Venice of? flag. It's the Venetian flag, and it's mm-hmm. uh, sort of an, a reddish-orange burnt color with a rather... Greek, I would say, almost ornate design that yeah. goes around the edge. And then there's it, our it, winged lion. It feels uh, Byzantine almost, and that was sort it of does. the flavor of the early Venetian Empire. Now, from here, most travelers would follow the crowd down the, what's the mercerie, the, the shopping the street? The merceria. Merceria, see, yeah. and that is the that's Unless the you're planning on going to Ferragamo for it, your... Yeah, it is just the tourist trap street there. And I mean, it's fun, and I, I like it. Do I dare get, say you can get those lovely Ferragamo shoes probably at your local Goodwill for a much better price because someone never really wore them? <laughs> you do dare say you that's good. It. And you, you find a, a lot of people from immigrant laborers from Africa selling knockoffs all over the place. But the bag thing, I, I would say that I can honestly say in the past two years, there's a big difference with the bag sellers. Yes, we have the bag mm-hmm. sellers from Africa. Don't be scared of the bag sellers from no, Africa. But they're hardworking they're guys. They're hardworking guys. They have families. What you should Most be of them of are is... legal residents of Italy. Oh. Most of them. But when they're selling stuff on the street, technically it's they're illegal. N- it's, it is illegal. And they, they shouldn't be doing it. But you, the tourist uh, who dare consider buying one of those knockoff bags, is more likely to be fined not then, arrested, then the salesman, then the, then the salesman yes. So it is illegal for a tourist Absolutely. to buy the bag, and that's a good way for them to try to assert that mm-hmm. rule. And it's also a good way for the Italians to get a little extra yeah. money so in the like coffers. A, 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 sort of a little touristic speed trap. Yeah. But let's not go down that touristic no. trail. Let's catch the traghetto, which Please. is the little gondola that ferries it, people across it, the canal. The traghetto no is a slightly larger scale boat. You know, we have a lot of different types of boats, rowing boats in mm-hmm. Venice. I don't know the names of all of them, but there is this fantastic group of women that do this rowing Venice thing. Now you can actually sign up for a class and they tell you the history of all the different rowboats. Yeah. And it's all part of that anti-motorboat thing. There's a right. No Grande Navi. We have a lot of grassroots uh, activists in the very well, we're a minority, the local true Venetians, but the ones that have lived there for you know families, generations of families, there's some really Committed brilliant... to what's going on with the community. Yeah. The traghetto is just slightly larger than a gondola. It looks like a gondola. It's black. It's rowed by the gondoliers, and it takes you from one side of the Grand Canal to the other. And once upon a time, that was your main public transportation way before the Vaporetto was and instituted. And people are standing at like George Washington crossing up, exactly. the Delaware. That's kinda, a wonderful, <laughs> that's exactly that. what it's like standing up. And it did take me quite a few years to feel comfortable standing up. Right. The trick is to bend your knees slightly. Okay. Don't I, be scared. Yeah. Or brace them against one of the yeah. chairs or something Just like that. Just that sort of But move. I love, because I'm with the locals. People have their They're shopping so, bags. Oh. The tourists don't know about these things. For years, I would take, with our groups in Venice, we had a tradition of taking the laundry of our groups to the laundromat so they could continue sightseeing. Yeah, yeah. And I had, you know, 20 people's laundry and two big black garbage On the traghetto. And I would take it on the traghetto, and I felt so smart because it was heavy to carry that laundry yeah. to the laundromat, and I knew the trick. Get on Get the on little traghetto. It cost me a couple bucks. So if we've taken the traghetto from the San Marco area across over to the Salute Church, first, can we go inside the Salute Church? Sure. That is my very favorite church. Pop me in. Why is it so good? <gasps> Oh, well, it's number one. Those of you who watch a lot of films in Italy sneaks in. The Italian Job has a great view. Have have you you seen The Italian Job? No. Anyway, it came out a few years ago. It was an action movie, but there Uh is a gorgeous shot of the Salute Church sort of Uh turns then into the the Alps, so you would love it. Uh Anyway, the Salute Church is this 
gorgeous building that is probably on every coffee table book that's ever been written or printed and photographed of, of Venice. And you walk in and the pavement, the Pavimento de Venezia, is just so stunning. It's round. It's a round space. And we have this gorgeous black Madonna iconic painting over the and altar. this was all a big uh, thank you for, the, it was for sparing a, yeah, us for, from the plague. From the Black Plague. Okay, and it's, this is sort of an over-the-top Baroque building. It Absolutely. looks like a bunch of Baroque it's, it's ice cream curl, scoops. Exactly, ice cream scoops is a good <laughs> description. And from there, I would definitely go beyond. Instead of taking the main route, let's say, if you're facing the Salute Church with the Grand Canal at your back, instead of taking that first bridge right off onto your right, walk a little bit past the Salute Church and hang a right, and then you're going to see the Judeca Canal just mm-hmm. ahead of you a little bit. And that's called the Zatere. The sun always seems to shine along the Zatere. And when I'm on the Zatere, I feel like the tourists didn't quite go there. It's an extra 10-minute walk. It is. They, there's nothing famous out there, but there's great pizzerias. There's sort of impromptu music on the pier. It's a great promenade spot. And it's you just there beautiful. with a sunset with it, your The sunset partner. is stunning. No, Z-A-T-T-E-R-E. E-R-E, Zatere. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a place where you just feel the, the ambience of the local community. You see a lot of families, kids, kids on little bicycles you know, sometimes. I'm just dying to talk about all the sites because we passed the Guggenheim Gallery and the mm-hmm. Academia Gallery and the Ferrari Church with all of the masters of the Venetian Renaissance with their masterpieces hanging where they designed them to be. But I'd rather go to our callers now and and, oh, uh, yes. and hear some people who are, are listening. The oh, phone man. number is 877-333-7425. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Stacy Gaboni about Venice, her adopted hometown. And Ken's calling from Chicago. Hi, Ken. Thanks for your call. You're quite welcome, Rick. You sort of touched on my question <laughs> uh, with your conversation. I was wondering what the hidden treasures of Venice are that most tourists don't know about, but we really should see. Oh, there's lots of them. But, uh, Stacy, what are a couple of treasures that Ken might want to put on his list that people miss? I'm not much for rules, Ken, but I'm going to give you one. Get okay. lost. Get lost. Okay. That is the thing, because you're going to find your own wow moment. You're going to find that wow moment by just stumbling through those calais and finding little things. You know, I would also say get lost with a little background. Do some yes, reading. Of course, Read the of introduction course, to your Italy, your Venice guidebooks mm-hmm. because then you'll know every square is a cistern mm-hmm. and you can understand how they collected water. And then you'll know that every community had its palazzo and its church. And, and you'll know there are merchant communities from all over the Western world there. And you can find the, uh, what was it, the Dalmatian school. Yes. And, uh, you know, the German place. and the, the Jewish ghetto. The Jewish ghetto. And every little corner of Venice has this history. And when you get lost, you're just, just open embrace for, that. You're embrace You're just open that. for those discoveries. That's where you're going to find those little treasures, I think, more likely. We just mentioned all these Sestiere, but the island itself, if you look at a map, it's like this fish. And the island is divided into these Sestiere. Each one has its own special little treasure. So these are neighborhoods. And neighborhoods. The Sestiere so is a neighborhood. And when you look at this fish, it's like the causeway feeds it. It goes yes. right to the mouth. Yes. And then it's like the Grand Canal is the grand intestine. Exactly. And it's sort of, I don't want to get too you know biological here, but it <laughs> dumps out at the political headquarters the Doge's Palace, Mm -hmm. and then given the fact that the town is shaped like a fish, the tail of the fish, Mm -hmm. that's where the arsenal was, Mm -hmm. where they had the biggest military uh, uh, complex in Europe in the day. There's still officers there, and it's an active uh, home for the naval officers. And you can wander around there and find real neighborhoods. So, Ken, there's plenty to explore. Oh, boy, you paint a great picture. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, we look forward to having you there. Thanks, Ken. Bye now. Take care. Bye. And Debbie's calling in from Lafayette in Louisiana. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Uh, I had read, I don't know if it was your book or a different guidebook, that inside the Basilica, the lights are turned on for one hour a day. Mm-hmm. And yes. we made a point to be there at 1130 that year. The lights were turned on. And to see the church go from dimly lit to brilliantly lit was... <laughs> it was oh. a religious experience. <laughs> We're not Roman Catholic, but to see everything, including the skin on our arms, reflect gold was just incredible. Isn't that something? You know, and that was just a good example, Debbie, of being a good traveler. You read your guidebook, and you know that if you were in one of the greatest churches in Christendom, if you were there during one hour a day, the people that run that church decided to turn on the lights. Mm-hmm. And then you have yeah, those mosaics that were put up there a thousand years ago, reflecting on your arms that were already covered with goosebumps. 
Exactly. The chunks of marble are certainly exquisitely beautiful, but it's the nuggets of gold that really reflect. (laughs) And you can't truly appreciate that without all those lights Mm -hmm. being turned on. Well, it's fun to think that a lot of, you know, people who go to church in America would worship as Protestants and they have these uh, pretty simple churches. And then you go over there and you just, it's like jumping into a wonderland of of worship tools. Well, you often say, put aside your Protestant stoicism and enjoy being a Catholic for a while. And it (laughs) is so true. You read my book. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember for 10 years, I went into St. Peter's as a good sword-carrying Lutheran and just... (laughs) Pissed off with all this ornate wealth. Finally. No, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. Just go with the flow. With the expression, as they do in Rome, it's as they do in Venice as well. And one other little point, if I could make, for those who are going to be listening in, is at least once in your life, take the boat to the airport. The ride across the lagoon as if you are a hmm. truly wealthy person in your own private boat, is just wonderful on a gloriously sunlit morning. Now, that is great. You take a taxi, one of the taxi shuttles, out to the airport? Yeah, I yep. have to admit that I, I've spoiled myself over the years, and I Debbie, kind of that's... only go to the airport that way. Yeah. It is just beautiful way to it leave is. the city. It doesn't even matter what time of day it is. To look back at Venice as it recedes in the distance is mm. just mm-hmm. really very special. And conversely, when you arrive, you can fly into Venice, and I think it's a great place to fly into. You could catch that same taxi. You can, and, and, and especially service. you know, if you if you want to make it a special event, you know, extra little romance, let's say, mm-hmm. if a couple's coming in. But if there's a group of four of you, it's actually more cost-effective in yeah. the end to take the private water taxi. Sure. It'll drop you off <laughs> close to where you're going to be, your hotel. Right. Hey, Debbie yeah, from I'm Lafayette ready. in Louisiana, thanks so much for your call and, and your, your beautiful welcome. insights. Thank you. Enjoyed okay. it. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Stacy Gaboni about La Serenissima, La the Serenissima. most amazing city in so many ways in Europe. And Stacy, She's unique. She sure <laughs> is, and you would know because you've lived there for 15 years now. I look forward to seeing you and Chef Domenico next time I'm in town. And thank you for helping us better understand Venezia. Grazie, Rick. Ti spettiamo. Several years ago, a Travel with Rick Steves listener in Colorado sent us a set of travel haiku he'd written about his trip to Venice. We thought his poems were worth a return visit. Michael Richardson from Denver sent us several haiku he wrote about his trip to Venice. Here's a couple of them. Early morning rain, wet sheen on the cobblestones, a slippery stroll. Dark-eyed Italian shows us her cheetah bella, we hang on each word. High tide floods the square, but music and dance go on. The night is magic. And birthday in Venice, Prosecco in St. Mark's Square, makes me grow younger. We'd enjoy hearing your own travel impressions in a haiku. Look in the radio section of ricksteves.com for a link to send us yours. We're heading north next on a slow boat to Sonjafjord, where Viking folklore lives on in Norway. We'll take your calls at 877-333-RICK and share practical advice for enjoying one of Europe's most expensive and scenic countries. We're touring Norway next on Travel with Rick Steves. Shalom, shalom. I'm Martin Fletcher in Tel Aviv and I'm Mr. Vevim Rick Steves. That was Hebrew for I'm Martin Fletcher in Tel Aviv and I'm traveling with Rick Steves. Koimli Martin Fletcher in Tel Aviv and I'm Mr. Vevim Rick Steves. If an uncrowded coastline is your idea of heaven, then Norway should be at the top of your list. The crinkly bits of Norway's fjords and islands add up to the longest coastline in Europe, and frequent ferry sailings provide an ideal option for taking in all that impressive scenery. But Norway also tops the list of the world's most expensive countries. So we've imported two guides who specialize in taking American visitors around Norway to help us manage our sightseeing and plan an affordable vacation getaway. Paul Johansson lives in Oslo, and Lisa Reiblund divides her time between Oregon and Oslo. Paul and Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Paul, what did you just say there? 
I said it's nice to be here. Say that again in Norwegian, please. Hyggelig å være her. Literally, what does that mean? Hyggelig uh, is a word we use a lot in Norway, especially in Denmark too, uh-huh. which uh, describes a sense of uh, coziness. Co- so it's, it's cozy to be cozy here. Cozy to be said. here, yeah. Cozy to We're be here. We're having a cozy time now. So there is a conviviality, and when, when we travel around Norway... We want to be, you know, astounded by the natural wonders, the, the mountains diving right into the fjords. Mm. But we also want to find the culture and connect. Norway is fairly sparsely populated and really big. I understand it's as far from Oslo to the top of Norway as it is from Oslo down to the city of Rome yes, in Italy. that's true. So that puts it in perspective. The yeah. distances are huge. And the population is very sparse, mm-hmm. and most people speak English. They do. I would say about 90-95% will be able to speak with you in English. So if you find a young, educated person, chances mm-hmm. are they would speak English. Oh, yeah, 100%. You'll have no language barrier. Yeah. Now, Lisa, somebody's going to this country that is as tall as almost as the rest of Europe, mm-hmm. and let's say you got a, a week or 10 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, Americans are notorious for having fast holidays. Yes. What would you recommend when you take your groups around Norway? What's the best of Norway in 10 days? Well, I think that um, to maximize the time, probably you want to stick close to the southern end of Norway. I might spend uh, three or four days in Oslo, and then I might take a train across the country to Bergen. If you have the time or if you have uh, a car, actually, car transportation would be a great way to see the country. You can go up to Lillehammer where the 1994 Olympics were, and mm-hmm. there's a great folk museum there, Maihaugen, mm-hmm. open-air folk museum. It's um, a fantastic way to experience architecture and um, culture of the area around Lillehammer. You can also go up into the mountains and uh, visit a really wonderful hotel called Elvesetter. So basically, Lisa, we're saying, of course, you got to do Oslo and yep. you got to do Bergen. Those are the two yep. big cities. Yep. And then you need to get a, a dose of the countryside. Absolutely. Now, this train you mentioned, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going from Oslo to Bergen. When you take that train, it's sort of in one day the, the very best of the mountain scenery of Norway. Absolutely. Like. And the state railways sell a package called the Norway in a nutshell. Okay. And if you buy that... Uh, You can take a small tour that goes over the mountains. There's a sort of a series of stops that uh, incorporate train and uh, fjord ferry cruise. Uh And so you get a seriously a nutshell tour of uh, the best sites of Norway. A montage of beautiful experiences Um, on the train, on the boat, on the bus, uh, in the villages. That's right. Now, Paul, when you talk about going Norway in a nutshell, that Mm. means like really fast and and really simple and really quick and Mm. kind of the very best. But you're missing a chance to go overland up Gubransdalen Mm -hmm. and Lillehammer and Lom and so on. Can you talk, if you were driving from Oslo to Bergen and you had three or four days or Mm -hmm. four or five days, you could have a more extensive look at the countryside of Norway. Take us on a drive from Oslo to Bergen in the more um, slow and scenic way. Yeah, well, there are several ways to go, but a nice opportunity would be to drive through Lillehammer. Mm -hmm. And as Lisa said, that's where you have the open-air folk museum, which collects historic buildings from all corners of Norway and Mm -hmm. puts them right in this amazing park. Mm -hmm. It's really a culture on a lazy Susan, and you have people sort of role-playing the cultures from all over Norway. Actors, all the different ages of Norway with the traditional architecture. So that would be an important stop. Mm -hmm. Also right along the way, you've got uh, Pier Gint country. Yeah. And, and we know Pierre Gint from the great mm. literature and music. Mm. Uh, yeah, so then I would uh, continue my drive up uh, through the Gudbrands uh, Valley, uh-huh. one of the most beautiful valleys that we have in Norway. Continue driving and you will get to Lom eventually, mm-hmm. where they have a very beautiful stave church. Now, describe a stave church. Well, a stave church dates almost all the way back to the Viking Age. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's kind of a fusion between uh, what they believe was an old Viking temple and more of a modern uh, church from those times. So it's... Um, so I thought the Vikings were out raping and pillaging, plundering, but there was actually Viking churches? Oh, yeah. Eventually, the, the Vikings, they got uh, Christianized. That's a transition in Norwegian mm-hmm. history, isn't it, when Christianity came? Yeah, and uh, the Viking Age ended when um, Harold the Ruthless, he went to, to try to conquer England. Uh-huh. So he took all his men, practically, from Norway, and he lost, he got slayed. And that's the kind of uh, marked the, the end of the Viking era. What century would that be? That would be in the 12th century. In the 1100s. Yeah. And then that was the time when we get these stav churches and Norwegians settling down. Yeah. And these stav churches are glorious examples mm-hmm. of medieval church architecture in Norway. 
of course, they're made out of wood, yeah. and uh, not a lot survives a thousand years made out of wood. But there are five or six that you can see in an itinerary. Oh, there are. There are. I yeah. think and what's so wonderful about the churches, too, and what, what makes them really special is that they are decorated with um, dragon heads often. Mm -hmm. That's what makes them really distinctive looking. It fascinates me because of how they blend these pagan uh, Mm. symbols. It's it's quite an aesthetic, isn't there? Yes, yes. They blend these symbols that are from their pagan beliefs with these Christian symbols. Mm -hmm. Now, Lisa, you were saying on a short trip, you would stick really to the south and to the west rather than the north. That's my opinion also. Simply because the distances are so long. Not because there isn't wonderful things Mm -hmm. to see in the north, but simply to maximize the time. But you can get your your natural thrills in the west. Absolutely. Very easily. The fjords. The distances are shorter and the prices are, believe it or not, it's even more expensive up in the north than Mm -hmm. it is in the west. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Lisa Rybloom and we're speaking with Paul Johansson and we're talking about sightseeing in Norway. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Diane's calling in from Toronto. Hi, Diane. Thanks for your call. Tell us about your Norwegian experience. I took the trip on the train going from Oslo to Bergen, and it was wonderful. It's a really picturesque voyage. We did it in the fall, so there were wonderful colors. My perspective on traveling in the country was as an amateur photographer, so I was more interested in um, getting the, the shots of the different areas. So we we went across on the train, arrived in Bergen, and it's such a beautiful, walkable city. Before getting on the Kong Herald, which is one of the, I never can pronounce this word, is it Hurtigurten? Hurtigurten. Yeah, the the ship. So we. So so our our listeners know that's the uh, sort of the mail boat that goes from Bergen all the way up around North Cape to Kirkenes. Yes. And that's a very scenic opportunity to see the entire Norwegian coastline. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. The point is, as you say, it's a mail ship. It's also for taking supplies to the different towns there along the way. Mm -hmm. And each town has something different. There weren't very many excursions for us. It wasn't like a cruise ship. But we found that at every port there was something we normally got off and walked around. So it's a commuter ride, or it's a public transportation as well as a mail boat, and sightseers can just sit there and enjoy. It's sort of a a long and slow trip, but glorious scenery. And do they serve you well on on the boat? Is there good food and accommodations? Well, I was completely surprised. I was taken back because the meals were delicious. We had smorgasbords for breakfast and lunch. Lovely dining room. I was expecting more a cafeteria, which they did have, but that was mostly for the locals that, you know, as I say, came on. Lovely meals. We also had a lecturer Hmm. uh, who came on and gave us lectures. We had one, I can remember, on Amundsen. There were ones on the areas, the different islands. So it wasn't just a commuter ship for us. And I would imagine you stopped at little towns that don't have much tourism, and you were free just to wander and poke around for an hour while they were doing their work and get back on the the ship and head farther north. Yeah, each of the, the ports, you know, there were different times that we were in port because of what they were doing, what they were taking in and off. So uh, mm-hmm. that was the main Pal, what's thing your take the on ship? the Hurtigruten? Well, uh, actually, a couple of years ago, they did a very fun thing with the Hurtigruten. They wanted to produce a slow TV, so they mounted the cameras onto Hurtigruten, and they kind of uh, streamed it live onto uh, national television. On national, not just a <laughs> webcast, a national yeah, TV yeah, yeah, on the yeah. main station. On the main station, and people just crazy about this. Great success. Diane, thanks for your call. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. I just wanted to mention about the Hurtigruten that I've taken that trip, and the boat I was on was very much a cruise ship style. Mm -hmm. So there are varying sizes of ships. Okay, and they're all the Hurtigruten? That would not be a cruise line doing the same route, but the actual Hurtigruten? No, there's varying options. So you can take a very small boat and -hmm. and do kind of the true mail boat style, mm. yeah. but there's also an option to do more of a cruise ship a cruise. style. Because mm-hmm. traditionally, this was how uh, people and goods and everything moved along the coast of, yeah. of Norway. Paul Johansson from Oslo and Norwegian-American Lisa Rybloom are our guides, with helpful tips for touring Norway right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Yvonne's calling from Chicago. Yvonne, thanks for your call. Yes, uh, we are planning a tour this uh, summer going through Scandinavia, and part of that is Norway. And we have planned currently three days um, in the sort of Bergen and Sonjefjord area. 
So I was wondering whether you have any recommendations um, and sort of priorities that we should have for this trip. Lisa, how would you structure your time in Bergen and the fjords? In Bergen, I probably wouldn't miss the Bryggen Museum. I probably would take a package fjord cruise that departs from Bergen, uh, the Tourist Information Office in Bergen can help you arrange. Uh, there's so many different options and ways to sightsee in the fjords, and the Tourist so Information Office can help. Use Bergen as a home base and Absolutely. then take one of the excursions mm-hmm. that they organize. Mm-hmm. Paul, if you had three days in Bergen and for the fjord country, and we're not going to take an organized tour, let's say you have a car, mm-hmm. or you're going to take public transportation, how would you balance the time? Well, I kind of agree with what uh, Lisa said, mm-hmm. but I would also like them to suggest spending a couple of days in Oslo. Yeah. Because there's so much exciting things going on in Oslo right mm-hmm. now. So it's definitely worth uh, spending uh, at least two days in Oslo before you head off to the west of, of okay. Norway. And from Oslo, you just head on up past Lillehammer, up Gudbrand, Stalin Valley. Mm-hmm. And, or, and there's plenty of stops there. And then you've got Lom, as, as Paul mentioned earlier, with the uh, Great Stav Church. And then you cross over, you get into Jotunheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll let Paul talk about this, but you'll peak sort of on the top of Giant's Country and then come down into Solvorn. Paul, take us from Lom to Bergen. Yeah, so you, you head off from Lom and um, you drive over Sognefjell, actually the highest mountain pass in um, northern Europe. That's right. And after driving over the mountain, you come down to a, a fjord, the Lusterfjord, and you just follow this fjord for several hours. The scenery is amazing. Eventually, you will come to a ferry. There are many ferries in, in Norway. That's how we get around. And you have to take a ferry from, uh, what's the name again? Kaupanger. Kaupanger, yeah. You can do a fjord cruise on the Song in the Fjord. You could put your car on a boat in that area. Yes, And then That's you right. could actually yes. choose where you want to go. Balestrand is a big uh, resort. You mm-hmm. could take the boat right into Bergen. Have either of you been on the uh, Nikardsbreen Glacier for one of the walks? I have. Lisa, I have. tell us about that option. Because, you know, when Yvonne's going over uh, Jotunheim, you could side trip up into the glacier. Mm-hmm. There's a glacier visitor center mm-hmm. that you can go to, and they arrange also excursions. You can full day or half day excursions on the ice to the glacier. Yes, I, yes. I put on the crampons and they roped us up, and mm-hmm. it was. The, I took the family tour. It was very mm-hmm, easy. Mm-hmm. Had kids along, and yeah. we're all roped up. And it you can also was do a, a casual walk just mm-hmm. to the edge of it um, without having to rope up and put yes. on crampons and so forth. So, so that would be a way to spice to up your it. adventure there, Yvonne, to go up to the glacier. I think it's the biggest glacier in northern Europe. It is. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yvonne, thanks for your call. That sounds great. Thank you very much. You sure. bet. Bye now. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Paul Johansson and Lisa Rybloom, and we're talking about Norway. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Brenda's calling from South Jordan in Utah. Brenda, thanks for your call. It's great to be on. Actually, I just took that same area a year ago and did the song... Songfjord, I'm not sure how you say it. Sonjafjord. Sonjafjord. Yes. And uh, we stayed in Solvorn. It was a beautiful little town right on the fjord at the Applet Hostel that you recommended. And it was great. And we did go up to the glacier, and it was a great half day. Yeah. It's amazing. You can go from a, a charming little town on the fjord drive up the valley to the head of the glacier, mm. and you have to hike in now because the glaciers are receding a bit. Yep. But you can still get there. So you stayed in a hostel. Now, Brenda, this is very interesting because when we're in Norway, it's quite expensive, but there are hostels all over the place and sort of dormitory accommodations and different, uh, you know, mountain huts and so on where you can live quite comfortably without a lot of money. Tell us about the hostel options for adults traveling. Well, my husband was very intrepid at using a hostel because we would be sharing a, a bathroom with four other rooms. But there was never any problem. It was delightful. The most fun was uh, there was a shared kitchen, and we each had a shelf on the fridge, which saved a lot of money. And we were able to visit with all the other people that were there and get some ideas for great activities to do. And it turned out to be a really fun thing. Was it an opportunity, Brenda, to connect with Norwegian travelers or international travelers? Well, with both, but mostly international travelers. I just love the the very scenic and warm and welcoming uh, hostels that you'll find all over Norway. Mm-hmm. Also, you find uh, these uh, mountain huts, uh, which are organized by the Norwegian Trekking Association. They're all over the country. They're in the in the mountains, especially. And a lot of them are, well, you're just given a key and you go there. 
and you leave money in the box. And then there's also food in the cabin, which you can just take and eat. And you just leave money. So it's like based on the honor system. An honor system. And it works I, very well. I just wanted Lisa. to add something about uh, staying in hostels in Scandinavia. I've just found them to be uh, very safe and clean. I think they're a great way to uh, save in a very expensive part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're a very good budget option. And um, especially if you're traveling with a family, uh, you can get a room really to yourselves. If you have if you have a family of four, you end up with a private room, essentially. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these places do have smaller rooms. And mm-hmm. I find you save a lot of money if you provide your own linen. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you bring your own sleep sack mm-hmm. and you'll save a huge amount. But as Lisa mentioned, you know, if you go to a youth hostel in Portugal, you might save $20. But if you go to a hostel in Norway, you can save $100 oh, that's right. and meet more people and enjoy the cooking, uh, the conviviality in the member's kitchen and so on. That's mm. right. Exactly. And they also offered free bikes for us to use. So we took the bike ride over to the, it was a huge waterfall. I can't remember, Fossenfegum or something. It was absolutely spectacular. Oh, on the other mm. side of Solvorn, did you take the little ferry across? Yes, we took the little ferry, I and we also that. did the little stave uh, church. church up there. It was just beautiful. The adorable little stave church. So you take, you're in an adorable little town on a mighty fjord. You get on an adorable little ferry, and you cross the fjord, and you get through this little hamlet, and you go to an ancient stave church through the farmland, and then you bike down this adorable little country road, to this mighty waterfall <laughs> on your bicycle, and you feel like a little tiny elf in this, you know, Norwegian wonderland. I want to go there again. Brenda, thanks for your call. You bet. Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been dreaming about Norway and the mightiness of Norway, and at the same time, as Pal mentioned, the hig- higgliness of Norway, the coziness yeah, of Norway. Coziness. And the nature is so grand, and the culture is so warm and cozy, and put it together, and it's kind of a unique thrill. Yeah, it is. Lisa Rybloom? Paul Johansson, thanks so much for helping us better understand and appreciate Norway. Thanks for having me. Tack för att jag fick komma. Var det bra? Har det bra? Har det bra? Did I say it right? Yeah. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe through the back door in Edmonds, Washington, by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan Wilner. Thanks to Aaron Harding for helping us out this week. You'll find more to each week's show in the radio section of ricksteves.com. That's where you can listen again whenever you like. Rick has also recorded walking tours to many of Europe's most popular destinations. Look in the radio section of ricksteves.com for a link to Rick's audio tour app. Support for Travel with Rick Steves comes from Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone believes that knowing even just a little bit of a new language can help take down barriers so your trip can be truly memorable. Helping people learn language for more than 20 years, it's now available on smartphones and tablets. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash ricksteves. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Scandinavia, the Baltics, and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from three dozen exciting itineraries covering the best of Europe from Oslo to Istanbul, Paris to St. Petersburg, and practically everywhere in between. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit our tour pages at ricksteves.com.